Welcome to the Cashflow Chronicles. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and the founder of Catani Capital Group. For the last two years, I've been studying alternative assets and now help solve the problem of creating passive cash flow for creators, influencers, and busy professionals by bringing you five episodes a week of easy to understand education in the world of passive investing. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Chronicles. I'm your host, Johnny Catani, and I'm joined today by Elizabeth Duffy. Elizabeth is a libertarian comedian, host of the Taxes podcast, and a digital creator on all platforms, uh, which we will certainly get into. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Likewise. uh, Does everyone call you Elizabeth? Do you have a nickname? Uh, It's usually Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Okay. Elizabeth, it is. Um, Cool. Well, you know, primarily we have real estate investors on there, so on here. So it's nice to get a change of pace. We're going to talk about some totally different things today, but give us a kind of rundown of, you know, your background, what your life's been like kind of leading up to this point. You're the ripe old age of 30. Uh, welcome uh, to the thirties and uh, you know, kind of what's created what you are so far. Yeah. So like the basis of my content is uh, libertarianism or just kind of like personal sovereignty, freedom based shit. And can I swear on here? Yes, you're good. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I should ask that prior, but um, that kind of stuff really. And so basically how that started was I grew up in the Rust Belt. So like heavy poverty stricken kind of area, you know, and you kind of learn to hate the government growing up like that because you see all the shitty policies and how it impacts um like people of the lower class and like just the the ridiculous economic policies just all of it and so I was really passionate about that and um I don't know in my early 20s I just started kind of making political satire like based around libertarianism on TikTok just for like shits and gigs. And it kind of took off from there. So I do that. And then I also branched out. I do other comedy too. That's like not specific to libertarianism, but that's kind of where my heart's at. And my podcast too is like based around, you know, personal sovereignty, taxation is theft, roads, the kind of quintessential libertarian stuff. That's awesome. I love it. I've got uh, two of my mentors are part of Lieberland. Are you part of that? Mm -mm. Okay. Um, are you aware of it? Like, no, tell me. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know a ton about it. Um, I was kind of hoping that you just knew what it was, uh, but it is, it's centered around, uh, libertarianism, that same philosophy, right. Um, kind of the, you know, it's funny, uh, grew up conservative, right. Come from a conservative household, uh, tend to lean more conservative, in most things more progressive, right? Like there's nothing for the middle. That's the problem that we've come up against. I want to get super political here, but you know, I know you probably feel the same way where like, there's just nothing, you know, especially now it's so polarizing, like you have to choose one side or the other. So what has it been like to kind of stand out and kind of hold, hold that ground? Yeah. It's, um, it's not, it's not great. Uh, you're definitely right. It has become like hyper polarized and this kind of like extremist insanity where you have to be like super far one way or the other. Um, I'm like, I don't know, I'm pretty hopeful. And like, I'd say I'm like white pilled on it. You know, um, I think a lot of people are kind of opening their eyes to like, no, we don't have to be like 
far left, far right, we can, well, far right is like a term. I feel like that's been taken over anyway, where like, if you're just kind of remotely conservative, they're like, you're far right. <laughs> but, um, cause I get called far right and I'm like a libertarian, so it's pretty nuts. But, um, I think more people are opening their eyes to like, Hey, no, like we just kind of want to be left alone. You know, like decentralization is growing big time. I think crypto has had like a huge impact on kind of people's thought process around not only um, money, but like everything. Because once you kind of realize like decentralization works really well economically, then you start to like put it into all these other scopes, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. And unfortunately, crypto is getting dragged to the mud right now. Mm. But I think that it's sort of the kind of the necessary dip that happens, you know, like nobody knew about it, then it absolutely exploded. Right. And when you go up that high, right, you have to come down. And I feel like that's what's happening. And the market's kind of um, recentering and I'm not a a big crypto person. So please don't let me, um, I don't want to mansplain here because it's absolutely, I, I don't, I'm just using like I worked. No, you can in the just stock explain. Market. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I worked in the stock to... market. I worked in. Uh, you know, I do real estate, so everything's kind of cyclical, and it just feels like where we're at in the cycle. But from what I understand, the government's kind of headed towards a crypto style currency, digital currency, I should say. So your big thing is kind of like being left alone. What is your lifestyle right now, so that you kind of really keep yourself away from all of that. Yeah. So, um, and not only me just being left alone, but I'm, I'm really big on like, leave everyone alone, you know, unless yes. they're hurting anybody else, like leave everybody alone. And that's one of the things, um, like tying it back to like what I said, what I, how I grew up and what I think is, um, actually more empathetic towards, uh, poor people or people who don't have a lot of money is kind of this whole deregulation, letting people, um, be able to climb the ladder and have that, um, you know, have that movement instead of like regulating it away, which I feel like we do big time. Um, so with what I do, I don't know. I just like, I'm just out here like trying to convince more people, um, to be into decentralization, to be into deregulation, um, to be into actual free market capitalism and recognize like, socialism doesn't work. Cronyism doesn't work. Um, and the best possible situation is this kind of like free market, personal sovereignty based, uh, system. I completely agree. The irony and maybe not so ironic part about it. And, um, I've heard you talk about this on your podcast is we all actually kind of want the same thing. Um, that's the funniest part about it, right? Like more affordable healthcare would work for everybody, whether Mm -hmm. you're rich or poor, especially the lower class, right? And, you know, more affordable and more accessible healthcare, right? More accessible mental healthcare would be a great start. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure if you did a poll, you know, of a thousand people, most would would agree that lobbying needs to, personally, I think if you got rid of lobbying, you'd probably cure about 30% of the issues we deal with. But what seems to be the biggest battle like where is the most contention and why does it seem like we can't sort of agree despite the fact that we all want the same things yeah well so it's almost like kind of a marketing thing you know what i mean it's like um it's the weaponization of empathy so when it comes to like the left they 
are genuinely empathetic, you know, and but they think that they're the only ones that are empathetic. And so they think that because you have a different way of coming to a solution to help poor people, for example, that you don't care about poor people, you know, and they're like, no, just all these handouts. That's the empathetic way. And I'm over here like, no, actually, freedom is the empathetic way. Like, you know, all these regulations keep them from being able to start up businesses. You have like regulations that keep people from uh, day trading, even like the $25,000 day trader rule or whatever. That doesn't help poor people, but that's the kind of explanation, right? It's like, oh, mommy, mommy and daddy government know best. So, you know, if you don't have this amount of money, you're not allowed to do it. You can't play the game um, because you're too dumb and you'll lose all your money. And those are the kind of things that I don't think are actually empathetic towards poor people. And especially coming from like a poor community, I've actually seen how it plays out. And um, you, people on the left are like, no, I'm, I'm empathetic because I want handouts. And then people on the right are empathetic also in their own way. But usually it comes from maybe like a more religious background or something along those lines. But they're, they also care about people. It's just everybody is coming up with different solutions. I just happen to think the free market is the best way. I completely agree. And it's fascinating because it feels like people want regulation or want these free handouts and, you know, sort of hide behind the guise of empathy until it's in their backyard. Right. And then you get nimbyism. Right. Which is why to kind of come into to my territory here with real estate is a, there's a huge push in the industry for low income housing. But. You know, and. The, the irony, though, is that the red tape that's in place is bureaucratic. Like it's cities being like, hey, we need more affordable housing. But, you know, behind closed doors, they're the ones who won't allow the affordable housing and make it so difficult for anybody to build any kind of low income housing or, uh, you know, any anything affordable. And so you have this like sort of battle where, you know, a part of you wants to help, but also there's not really any money in it. And so it's like, well, how am I supposed to help if I, you know, if I can't even help myself? So that's kind of what we're running into in the industry, right? Especially now as we're coming up on these economic times, there's a big, you know, a, a big asset class or mobile home parks, right? But the very cities are the ones that won't allow you to develop and build these mobile home parks, despite, you know, you go into these parks and these are just regular people. They just have a job. They just do normal things. They just happen to, you know, perhaps not make quite as much or some choose that lifestyle. And we keep running into these, these battles. And what ends up happening is like you kind of alluded to nothing gets done. We just end up kind of right back where we're at. Um, yeah, no, it turns into this kind of uh, just like show of empathy, but they don't really do anything. So basically it's like, no, yeah, yeah, we want this and we want that, but they're not actually doing anything. It's the same thing um, with taxes or whatever. It's like, oh, we all should be paying more taxes so that we can have all these social programs. And it's like, well, you could you could just write a check to the IRS. You know that, right? Like you could just write off, like send them 70% of your income if you want. Like if you truly genuinely believe in that, but they don't. Like how many progressives, do you know, actually like send a 70% of their income check to the government? They don't. And um, so that's what it boils down to is kind of just this game of like, we're going to say this stuff and pretend and blah, blah, blah. And then you have the other side that comes in and they're like, yeah, we're not actually going to let that happen though. And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. As long as I can just run around and say it. So yeah, it's kind of this game of not actually helping anyone. And again, like deregulation would solve 
the majority of these problems, like not allowing people to buy off the government, not allowing people to play like those sort of games would help everything. And people can decide where they want to live if they don't want to live in a community that has low income housing. That's fine. Vote with your feet kind of thing. You know, like that's where the free market comes in. Absolutely. I love that. And it is, I think a lot of people forget, but we're really not that far removed from a very decentralized government. It wasn't till really around the, uh, the first, the, the great recession or what, what was the one in 29 or whatever, but that's really when government started to really step in before that we had a pretty free-ish system. Um, you may be able to, to speak better on that, but from what I understand, right. And then of course the federal reserve was created. And ever since then, um, you know, I'm not sure if you read the creature from Jekyll Island, but, uh, I haven't yet, but that keeps coming up. I need to, it's on my to-do list. Yeah. It's, it's a really good book, but, um, you know, ever since then, of course, the system now is, is what it is. And it's just become more and more corrupt. And it, it feels like what society wants, especially the far left is they really want that easy fix. And there really is not an easy fix. It has to be, it's a systemic fix, right? It feels like at this point, there's only one way to fix it. And that's to just upend the whole thing. Well, yeah, the problem, I think, I think this is kind of like a human problem too, you know, is like, um, well, we're already dealing with the current thing and we already like know we can handle it or whatever. So switching over to something else that has remotely one problem is like freaky, right? It's like, well, it's not perfect. And, um, the thing is, is nothing is perfect. So that's kind of the issue. Like when you start talking like politics or anything, people are always like, well, it doesn't work perfectly this way. And it's like, of course, like, no, it doesn't work perfectly. That's that's why you have to argue from reasons like, uh, I don't know, what's just, you know, like personal sovereignty is just. So, you know, that's why. And it still comes with like pros and cons, of course, like the world is it's never going to solve like everything. You're never going to have zero problems. Um, like you're saying, like you're still going to have people upset when low income housing comes in. But then other places you're going to have people upset that there's no low income housing. You know what I mean? It, but those things have to work themselves out just like on an individual level. And that's the most fair way to do things. And it's also the best way to do things when you want to talk economics, like not having regulation involved and just being able to uh, freely and consensually have an economy go that way is so much better for everyone. Absolutely. Um, we were kind of talking earlier about crypto and how things go in cycles and the economy is no different, right? Everything goes in a cycle. And I feel like, especially now, so many, especially, you know, the government specifically is trying to interrupt that cycle and sort of force it to do something despite, you know, if you look back through history, it just always naturally kind of does what it's supposed to. And like you said, the free market will take care of itself right now. Are there going to be things that go wrong? Of course, right? Nothing is perfect. It's going to go wrong. It has to. That's how things get corrected. Yeah, especially with the mess that has been created at this point. Like that's the I think that's the scary thing for people is it's it's a big one. Um, I heard someone I don't remember who it was, but like someone compared uh, it like the economic cycle basically to like at some point you have to have the hangover. It's like when you're drinking a bunch, like at some point you have to have the hangover. And when you have like the Fed involved and everything, it's like they want to just push the hangover off 
by just like, it's like, keep drinking. It's okay. I'll just keep drinking. I'll keep drinking. And it's like, no, eventually you have to have the fucking hangover. And when you just let it naturally happen, it happens a lot quicker, but it's a lot shorter and it's not as bad. Um, and like you said, it's cyclical. It's always going to happen. But, um, when you keep like bumping it up and bumping it up, you've created this like bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger bubble. Basically you created a worse hangover. And so like, that's what we have looming. So people are like, no, just keep drinking. Like we, we just don't have to think about it. Just keep drinking. And, um, it's like, yeah, the, the realists are like, Ooh, this isn't going to be good. Yeah. That's so funny. That's such a hilarious analogy because, uh, you know, how many times have you done that on a weekend, you know, and you're like, oh, well, you know what, just, just keep going. It'll be fine. And then by Monday, you're like, yeah, it's going to hit you eventually. Correct. Correct. I love that. No, that's, that's a really, really great point. And that is exactly what is happening. And for those who are kind of at least, you know, paying attention, right. I, I don't expect everyone to be as diehard. Like I'm, I'm kind of a hobby economist. I, I really enjoy it by no means, you know, do I claim to be any kind of expert, but it feels like something is coming. Like it, you know, it, it feels like something's going to break and I don't want to say catastrophic, but it just, it feels like it's been too easy so far. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely fall more into like the Austrian economics, obviously uh, PAC being the quintessential libertarian that I am, but um, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think it's going to be really nasty. Um, I, there, there just doesn't seem to be a way around it. Um, and yeah, it's just, there's just so many issues and I don't really know how they're going to fix it. Like when you were talking about um, the government moving towards like a cryptocurrency based um, economy, I don't love that either. Like I'm a, I'm a fan of decentralization and I think crypto was a huge part of like waking people up to that. But um, what the government would be doing with just digitalizing currency, which it already basically is, you know, um, would, I, not excited about that, but um, basically something has to happen because we can't just keep going on like this or we'll end up like, I don't know, Venezuela or whatever. You know, when you look back through history, it, it feels like we're kind of headed to where the U.S. has to be doomed. You know, it, it just we've been such a great world power, but everything has taken its turn from falling from the top and we haven't in a while. And that makes me really nervous because when you look at the decision makers and the decisions that they're making, there's just no logic anymore, right? It's very, very tied to who's in their back pocket and who's paying them the most. That's why I kind of made that comment about lobbying, where I think, you know, if we got rid of lobbying, I think we we could fix a lot of things because it would force people to make a decision based on what's actually the best decision. And it doesn't feel like the government is for the people anymore. And I would imagine you completely agree with that. Yeah, no, I don't think the government has been for the people in a very long time, unfortunately. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more white-pilled about it, though. Like, I think um, decentralization would help out big time. Um, and I think people are, I mean, people are literally talking on mainstream media about national divorce. So to me, like, I don't know, that's like a positive sign, actually. It's like people going, hey, like, this is not working. Um, whether or not you're pro-national divorce or not, like, 
people are like, hey, this isn't working and we need we need to fix something. So I think that's actually a positive thing. I don't think it's going to like I don't think Americans will let it just completely fall apart and turn like into absolute absolute chaos. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. No, I have I, hope. Right. I agree. It, it is fascinating because if we all stood up, we could overpower anything. It's just, you know, right now with us all battling each other, especially the red versus blue, the government's going to keep winning, right? Because we can't even decide what we want. So we keep letting them make the decisions for us. And the only thing we can say is, well, I don't agree with that. Well, okay, you got to go do something about it. So, um, all right. Well, we got pretty political. Despite- Sorry, I haven't. No, no, no. That's what I do. <laughs> it's it's totally great. I love it because we completely agree here. Um, and I and it is a nice change of pace. I do want to touch a little bit on some finance stuff, but you did make uh, a couple uh, references. What's white pill? Um, explain that. I, I do not know that reference. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. So it's like white pill is like uh, having hope and like being positive. So you know the red pill, blue pill from the right. Matrix. Yeah. Then you have like white pill, which is like your pill of hope, and black pill, which is like it's all doomed or all going down, like the ship is sinking. Um, so I tend to be white pilled on it. Like I have hope that things are going to move in a positive direction. Um, so yeah, that's. I love it. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Then I would uh, agree. So, okay. So let's kind of touch now. Uh, we talked offline. I, despite, you know, I did not grow up poor, very, very blessed the way I grew up, uh, upper middle, upper middle class, but despite that still public educated, didn't have financial education. Have you, obviously you're big in the libertarianism taxes. Have you also included kind of personal finances and understanding, you know, there are a lot of incentives. I shouldn't say a lot, but there are incentives in the IRS codes to help avoid taxes, right? Like you have an LLC, you can take expenses from the LLC and blah, blah, blah. So have you educated yourself there as well to help kind of, you know, solidify your stance on things? Uh, yeah, a bit. So, um, like you said, like, no, definitely no financial education. And then I didn't have like a family that knew anything about finance, uh, either, So basically I was like 21 or something like that. And I was, I was drunk and this is, this podcast is going to make me sound like an alcoholic, but (laughs) I was drunk. And, um, I like the new, the, like, uh, Fox business was like on or whatever. And there's all those like, you know, numbers and shit at the bottom. And I was like, I realized I don't know what that means. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what, like, I was like, what are those arrows? Why? Like, blah, blah, blah. So I basically was like, I'm going to teach myself the stock market. And I did. <laughs> so um, I taught myself like as much as I could. And then I've also owned like, uh, I think four businesses now up to this point, like mostly just small e-commerce, couple worked, couple didn't. So I learned a lot through there. And then um, on top of that, uh, I also got into like crypto trading and stuff like that, which helped me. And then um, I just hired like an accounting team and stuff like that. So I offshoot a good portion of it, but um, their, you know, goal is the whole like pay, like, you know, I'm paying as little taxes I can and shit like that. Um, So basically it was just kind of the school of hard knocks way. I just kind of dove in and started trying stuff and learned kind of slowly. So by no means an expert, but definitely no more than probably like anybody in my family at this point. Yeah, it is fascinating when you learn. And and I think that everyone should have a basic understanding of the stock market. And maybe not necessarily specifically like, 
individual stocks, but just understanding how the market works, because whether you like it or not, that is a pretty good indication of what's happening economically, right? Because you have so many different publicly traded companies, some, you know, what they call cyclical, right? Go with the regular cycle, your counter cyclical, right? And so you can get a good understanding of what's happening based on, you know, just a little bit of information from the stock market, if, if you know what to look for. And, you know, I worked firsthand in the market, um, was a really eye-opening experience to see that money's not real uh, because it's very manipulated uh, in the stock market, as I'm sure you know. And you mentioned day trading. Did you try your hand at day trading? Oh, heck yeah. Do you still day trade? I No, I haven't. I haven't been able to keep up with it. But uh, yeah, crypto day trading was my thing for a Oh, crypto. Minute. Okay. Yeah. So explain that to me then. Uh, because like I mentioned before, I'm not super familiar with crypto. Um, I kind of missed the boat there and I'm just waiting for things to make a little bit more sense. So explain uh, the trading. It's just like the stock market where you just buy and sell. Yeah, basically. And um, so I, I traded off like public sentiment, basically. Um, and I would just like, so it's so like, uh, it's, I don't know what to call it, like, um, definitely new agey or whatever, but basically like hopping on. So I was on um, like Reddit before the whole game stonk thing happened. Uh, and, you know, uh, kind of Reddit and Twitter and seeing like what people were talking about and blah, blah, blah. And it was actually like, I, I don't want to say it was like too easy. But back then it was like, it was pretty easy to figure out what was going on. Um, and yeah, you just buy and sell just like you would a stock and trade it just like you would a stock. So it was basically the same thing. Interesting. And then because it's decentralized, there's no, like how you mentioned before, the 25,000 minimum to actually be yeah. a pattern day trader, right? Now you can day trade to a certain extent without that so on and so forth, but there's no regulation. So there, there's no minimums. You can just, and you can go as many round trips as you want. Yeah, basically. So that was kind of like the big appeal um, to crypto, especially when it first, well, I don't want to say when it first came out, but when it first got big, like when people first knew about it. Um, Cause I remember my brother like called me at like 2 AM one time, like back in the day. And he was like trying to tell me what Bitcoin was when it was at like 1500 bucks. And I was like, oh, I can't fucking handle this shit. I don't know what that sounds crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, had you invested back then, we, you know, probably be wherever you wanted. Yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty pissed, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, listen, we could all be millionaires in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have you missed something? And, you know, it's it's funny because when you're in the market, it feels like like working in it. It feels like you shouldn't have the pulse on it and and know. And, and I did do well. I was, I day traded, ultimately ended up losing more than I may day trading because I would try to trade on instinct and (laughs) uh, I only laugh because that's a terrible way to trade. That's not, there's no rhyme or reason to it because there's no rhyme or reason to the market. It can be manipulated very quickly, which is why I switched gears to real estate because it's a lot more stable asset. You know, it doesn't ebb and flow so dramatically. Um, so I'm curious, is real estate on your radar? Is that something you'd like to do because, you know, you're kind of anti-tax and there are a lot of incentives, you know, there's homesteading, of course, there's depreciation, different things like that. 
Yeah. So I haven't gotten super into real estate and it wasn't anything like huge on my radar um, or anything I was really interested in, to be honest with you, actually, until um, this recent, like, I don't know what you want to call it. So basically when I was looking for a house, um, it like, it was looking like really weird for me and I didn't understand anything because the market was like going crazy. This was like at the whatever, like with the, I don't know if I can say anything on here. Like the Perchman pandemic. Pandemic? Are you oh, talking okay. about COVID? Yeah, you can talk about the pandemic. <laughs> I can say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is well, that some a people curse are word? So, well, some people are so weird and like don't like if they put it on YouTube or whatever, they're like, don't fucking bring it up. Um, but anyways, yeah. So like the COVID thing. And the housing market started going crazy, right? And so, anyways, I like didn't know anything about like real estate at the time. And I was talking to a realtor and I was like, okay, so the market's like crazy here. Where's like, where's it not crazy? And they're like, it's crazy everywhere. And I was like, huh. And they said, because people are moving out of the city. And I was like, okay, like, all right, cool. So shit's cheap in the city. And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And then he was like, well, people are moving from other states. And I was like, sweet. So what states are cheap right now? And he was like, none. And I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Like supply, that doesn't make any sense. So then I got like super interested in that because it just, and I asked him, I was like, that doesn't make any sense, right? And he was like, I guess not. And I was like, yeah, like how have you not thought of that? And so then I started researching it and started to find out about like BlackRock and these big like investment firms that were like buying up. I had no idea about anything at the time because it, it wasn't like news yet. Um, and I was like, that's crazy. So that's what kind of got me like down the rabbit hole of like real estate. And I'm much more interested in it now. Um, but it was just kind of like by happenstance because stuff just wasn't making sense to me. And I thought it was so confusing. Yeah. You nailed it right on the head. Honestly, uh, it makes no sense right now. What's happening is there's so much just capital available, right? You have your institutions like BlackRock. You even have individual investors who've just made so much money over the years because, you know, with tech and it really what what it came down to is, you know, you have the public se- the public sector and you have the private sector, right? Public is, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, like all that stuff, right? That you relate to like the stock market. And then you got the private world, which is, you know, businesses before they go public, right? So all your tech startups, you've got, you know, the apartment, like if you live in an apartment complex, that's a private security. Apartment complexes, when you, depending on how you buy them, it's actually regulated by the SEC, despite being a a private, um, what they call private placement. And what's happening is exactly what you just described. Because institutions now can put their hand in everything, including going and buying, right? So they have access to so much more data than we do that whenever a little tiny blip, and because they're they're trading in so much money, you know, 1%, half a percent can be hundreds of millions of dollars to them, you know, half a percent in one direction, they're putting money into that thing. So what's happening is we have this like, sort of overinflated market that's just being propped up by nothing. And all it takes is for someone to just pull the rug out and it's, and it's gone. And you're seeing it in housing. I mean, Zillow announced they're going to buy like a billion dollars worth of single family homes. Really? How's, anybody, how's anybody supposed to buy a house? That is crazy. Well, what's really weird to me to like, so 
I don't know how much like into this kind of stuff you get, but like also um, the whole buying up a bunch of houses. So I'm, I'm in Detroit. So like this happens a lot in Detroit because there's so many like old dilapidated uh, houses here. Um, Basically they'll like buy up a bunch and then just kind of like slowly pepper them out, you know, so you don't have a bunch for sale at the same time, bringing the price down. Um, And so you also have like things like that, especially in like, kind of more rundown type communities, um, which it's just, it's nuts it, to the people who don't make a lot of money um, trying to like buy a house right now, or even trying to rent a house because rent prices are also insane um, because people also bought houses at really high prices and then, you know, they need to have higher rent. It's just nuts. I don't understand how it's going to keep going. The car market's the same way. You know what I mean? Like trying to like have a car payment right now is nuts. Like compared to like when I was a teenager, I I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know how like the average, like teenager is supposed to get a car right now. It's nuts. Interest rates are through the roof and prices still have not really come down enough. Like I'm in Salt Lake city. I'm still, you know, I bought my house four years ago at one point it was nearly double it's it's come down but still not as much as you think it should and that's why i mentioned earlier it feels like something big is coming because at least with 08 it just like we knew what it was right housing there's all this issue and of course you know when you really get into the weeds of it you, you see you know it was obviously global but we figured it out here there's there's nothing that's like giant red siren going off like hey there is a big big issue here uh one to pay attention to is corporate debt um that's a lot of corporate debt's going to be coming due over the next 12 to 18 months that could be a big one especially in the public markets but you know there's not really anything that's like hey this 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 should be broken by now and the fed only has one lever they just have the raising of the interest rates so they're just going to keep raising interest rates till something breaks. And I, you know, like I said, I'm more of a hobbyist, so I'm not really sure what's going to happen. But from a pure investment standpoint, there's not a, they're not any good deals right now. Um, they're very, very challenging to find. And I can only imagine being a first time home buyer and looking at like, okay, you're going to get a six and a half percent interest rate. And oh, by the way, um, prizes are still 20% higher than they were three years ago. You're like, that's crazy. Three years ago, it was a 3% interest rate. So I don't know. Yeah, it's insane. Inflation is like the worst tax there is. It's horrible. Yeah, it is. Do you feel that uh, that can be combated with uh, decentralization? Like, how do you think those two kind of correlate? Oh, for sure. Like, well, what you were talking about, the whole um, Keynesian economic version of just pull the lever and raise inflation rates is, um, I mean, it's one way to deal with the economy, but it's a it's a terrible, terrible way for um, poor people because you're basically just trying to crush demand by making people not be able to afford anything. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the demand has gone down. Great. Um, that slows inflation, but that's because nobody can buy anything. You know what I mean? Because everybody's spending all of their money on eggs. It's the it's insane. It's just insanity. Um, but when you just have a true like free market, the stuff ebbs and flows, but it's not these insane, like manipulated um crashes or anything like that. It's like 
you know, way more chill and just happens naturally kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Now and you can one, also uh, not to interrupt, but you can also have like more um, local economy. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're you when you're decentralized, you can be more locally focused in that way. Like what the Fed is doing isn't impacting you. You know what I mean? Like you're you live in a state that has a great economy. Awesome. Like that's booming. And things can um, work a lot differently in that aspect is when you make it into one big giant thing like globalism tying the global economy together if something happens everybody goes down like that's what happens when you tie everything together like that yeah absolutely and that's what you're starting to see you know when every country is loaning money to each other and it's just a twisted web of of you know who owes who what meanwhile you've got people like you said on the the lower end of you know the the income And they're just trying to make ends meet. And it feels, so my question would be, how much are they paying attention? Are they just, you know, the, the lower middle class and even the, 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 uh, even poor people, are they paying attention or are they so focused on making ends meet that they're not really feeling it or do they feel it even more? No, they're definitely feeling it. Um, they're definitely feeling it and they're definitely like they pay attention. Um, I don't know, like paying attention to what specifically are you asking? Yeah, I guess that's a good question. Uh, so, well, first of all, nobody should be paying attention to mainstream media. So whether you're rich <laughs> or poor, please stop paying attention to mainstream media uh, because the the sky had fallen a couple years ago. So I guess, so how much do increased interest rates affect, right? Because like you mentioned, the price of eggs, eggs have now come back down, it feels like, um, at least on on my end. So where do they feel it the most? Let's start there. Where where do they feel it the most when things kind of start to tighten up like we're seeing? Yeah, definitely. So um, with poor people in like poor communities and stuff from what I found and what I still see, because, you know, like, my whole family is still, you know, living in poor communities. And, um, the first thing that hits is like your grocery bill. You know what I mean? It's like the stuff that you have to pay right now. Um, so groceries have been a huge one, um, and seeing the inflation there, gas is also a huge one. It's all these things that they're barely scraping by on anyway. So their grocery bill going from like 150 bucks a week to 200 is a huge fucking deal. You know what I mean? That's a huge deal. Or gas going up 50 cents is a huge deal. Um, It's just a different, it's just different. Like I remember I used to know, always know the price of gas, like down to like the cents and stuff or like people in my family would be like, oh, you go to that one because they're like three cents cheaper. Um, It's just a totally different, like I, I'll be honest with you. I don't even know the fucking price of gas now. Like to the, you could be like, yeah, the dollar, it's a different, I know I feel it's a different lifestyle when you come out of it and you're like, oh, wow, there's people out here who don't know the price of gas. Like, I did not know that growing up. Like, I did not know that it was even a thing. But um, it's it's 100% a thing. So, like, literally to the dollar, people are scraping by. So, it's the it's the everyday, like, necessities that hit them first. Um, and then it's other things that they don't have to get all the time. But like I said, like a car or something like that. So something happens to their car and then they have to go. And then, holy shit, I, this is insane. I can't afford this. You know what I mean? Like I was paying, I had like a $300 a month 
uh, car payment before. And now like I can't get anything less than 500 a month. And that's like not doable for them. So it's something like that. they feel inflation. Okay. So that's totally. where I go. Yeah. So they feel inflate. I was focused too much on interest rates. It's the inflation that crushes. And, you know, despite being out of it, like, you know, I, I didn't grow up poor, but I have been poor. I mean, I was a college kid and, you know, worked full time, blah, blah, blah. Like I remember one time I had to literally use the change in my truck to put gas in my truck. And it wasn't even like a full gallon. I had enough to like, you've been broke, broke. Thank you. That's yeah. better. Yeah. But that was literally the day before payday. So I just had to like make it to payday. So yes, that's what, thank you. I've been broke. And so, so yes, you do. And you start to kind of count that. Right. And it's, it's very material when it starts to kick in and yet here we are. And it doesn't seem like pulling this one single lever is even doing anything anyway. What, you know, in your circles, right, libertarian, what are kind of some, you know, decentralization is a big one. What are some other kind of key points that you guys try to push for that can help? Um, is there anything that can help bring poor people out of poverty? Well, like, yeah, so the definitely like the free market. Solutions. And then another thing, too, is like having money that's uh, actually worth something backed by something. So before when uh, money was on the gold standard, you could make long-term decisions. Um, now, one of the big like reasons that the economy is such a shit show is like nobody can make long-term decisions anymore. You're, you don't know what your cash is going to be worth. Like years from now, it's stupid to just hold on to it. It's not going to like before when it was um, backed by gold, you knew that it was going to bare minimum hold value you know what I mean? Um, or, you know, appreciate. But now like you're like, this is not going to hold value or appreciate. It's going to depreciate. Um, so people are making like really short term decisions, including like big, huge, giant businesses are making these insanely short term decisions, which is terrible for people in the long term, obviously. Um, so having money that can actually be utilized for long-term goals lifts people out of poverty. You know what I mean? Because they actually have the ability to save and advance and make longer term investments and things like that without aren't as risky. And it's not as crazy um, because their money is actually still going to be worth something. So that's a huge one. Also deregulation and allowing um, people to start businesses without all these like insane regulations. That's a huge one. It also boosts local economies. You know what I mean? When you can go out and start a business and it's not insanely expensive or another issue too, is like, um, people just don't really have the education on how to do it anyway. But, um, doing all these things that are like decentralized and free market end up helping people who are poor. Yeah. I love that. That is, um, that's a huge, huge kind of um, talking point because it's just a never ending cycle down there when you're at that level that you just, you know, you work hard. And again, this kind of comes full circle to the taxes, right? The harder you work, the more tax, the more you get taxed. So I know you have the podcast. Uh, are you, and are you obviously an advocate? Are you in, circles and whether it's poverty, whether it's other, you know, um, we'll, we'll talk about it, right. You're an OnlyFans creator. 
are you out there trying to help educate on these financial issues and help people understand like, Hey, maybe you're making more money than you've ever had before. Here are some things you can do. Or what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So I don't like educate like that as much as I probably should. And that's a good point. Like I probably should like, I didn't mean to call you out. I just was, no, it's fine. I'm a terrible fucking person. Um, (laughs) but no, so I, I do focus more on like just trying to um, show people the very basics of like uh, the, uh, you know, free market capitalism is actually empathetic towards poor people and uh, personal sovereignty is empathetic and all. like that's kind of my focus as opposed to being like, hey, you have a bunch of money, you should put it here. Um, right. But fair. yeah, so I kind of like focus on like a step or two before that probably. But that's a good point. I, I, yeah, I maybe should, you know, get maybe dive a little deeper um, into things for people. I I do have a a war on the poor series that I just started on my podcast. And so that's going to be something that I continue on. So maybe I'll throw some like uh, something like that in there. Uh, Maybe I'll have you on and you can tell people where to put their money. I love that. I'm not a financial advisor, but um, (laughs) you know, what, what we do is uh, this is a big thing. So I was, I was licensed. I was a licensed stockbroker, but wasn't licensed to give advice. So we educate. Yeah. I'm right? sorry. Educate, you use yeah. things, you use, you use words like typically this is how it works, right? Typically when you buy low and sell high, there's a gain, right? There's way there's, there's loopholes to it, but no, no, yeah. no, I know what you're saying. I would absolutely love to, because the way that I see it is, you know, I know upper growing up upper middle class, I didn't have financial education. So that absolutely means that, you know, below the poverty line, at the poverty line, there absolutely is none. And it's not to say that, you know, they have disposable income because if they did, then, you know, they wouldn't be considered um, poor. But it, it feels like there's something that can be done, right? And really what I'm trying to discover is, you know, how can I help do that, you know? And so, um, elaborate on your, your war on the poor and kind of what, um, that big push is. Yeah. So that is more like a series on kind of explaining how the, uh, government and over-regulation and stuff like that actually, um, harms poor people. Uh, but wow, I just lost my train of thought. What were you just saying? Cause I wanted to make another point. <laughs> uh, well, I was talking about war on the poor, but before that I was talking about, financial education. Oh, what you should, how you can help. Yeah. 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 Um, so one of the big things that I think, uh, doesn't get talked about enough and a lot of people like you, how you were like, Oh, they don't have disposable income because they're poor or whatever. But one thing that you can help them with. And one thing that was a huge thing for me is, um, you're definitely like, I don't like, I don't want to say like programmed and sound bring up the matrixy thing again and sound all crazy conspiracy theorists, even though I am. No, we could go and we could have a whole podcast just on that. So. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, you're, so, you're in good company here. I promise. Good deal. Good deal. Um, So poor people are definitely programmed to look at money, not actually how you're supposed to look at money. You know what I mean? And so okay. like, there's a That's huge to uncover. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this huge education gap there. Um, like it's so lame, but literally like rich dad, poor dad. When I read that, like in my early twenties, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is like spot on. Like it's a hundred percent accurate. Like you're definitely taught how to look at money in like such different terms as to people, even in like the middle class are, you know what I mean? And then upper class even goes like a step beyond that for sure. But like in poor communities there, they don't even know how money works. They don't know where money comes from. They don't like, 
the actual logistics of it. You know what I mean? They're like the government. You know what I mean? Like they don't understand anything. They don't understand the Fed. They don't understand um, interest rates. They don't understand Keynesian economics. None of it. And so just kind of the basics of how an economy works even or how money works would be like huge, uh, like because you just start to look at things differently and then you start to make different decisions. So a lot of like poor people make decisions like not stupidly, you know what I mean? It's based on their education and their view of money. And so they're making like technically like the right decisions monetarily, but it's based on their education of money, which is completely inverted. Wow. Fascinating. Okay. So yeah, it's really fucked up. It pisses me off like a lot. Yeah. That is very frustrating. Okay. Interesting. Wow. That's wild. Okay. So really you could honestly, you could help just with a, you know, kind of basic financial education and help oh, for them sure. understand. Interesting. Okay. That's really good to know because that is not a very, challenging platform to kind of push no and i feel like it gets over because it's so basic it gets like super overlooked it's kind of almost like what i do with libertarianism right is like um in in the libertarian party you have all these like hyper libertarian nerds who are like gonna talk to you about like hoppa and stuff like that and then there's me and i'm just like no i'm I'm hitting the basics dude i'm just like personal sovereignty let's talk about that um and I sound really stupid in comparison to them, but I can actually talk to people who aren't libertarians. Like I can actually speak the language and have a conversation with them. And it's more like a bridge over type of thing. And I think even uh, with like helping poor people economically, it's the same thing as needed. People focus like hyper on the extreme of it where it's like um, specific investment advice and stuff like that. They don't understand anything like that. Like what my story about when I was drunk looking at the Fox business, I didn't understand what they were talking. Like I could, couldn't understand what they were talking about. I didn't understand what was on the screen. Literally none of it. It was like another language to me. Um, whereas like now I get all of that. I can watch Fox business and I'm fine. But those people, they can't, you know what I mean? So just really basic shit is, I think there's actually a huge gap there. Just how an economy works. Interesting. That's fascinating. You mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, that's kind of the that's like the, what we call the purple Bible in real estate investing, because I can't tell you, I would guess, you know, probably 98% of my guests have mentioned their Genesis moment was rich dad, poor dad. And these are people who grew up even upper middle class. Like that just shows you, despite the wage gap, the education is not far off. If you're publicly educated, right? Private's different. I was not privately educated, have friends who were, and I can tell you that there's a huge disparity there because just the way they talk, I'm like, I didn't learn that in public school. <laughs> so, so Lord of the Flies, you want to talk about that one? That's all I got. Yeah, right. Exactly. Catch catcher in the rye. Yeah, that's, that's what I that's what I got. <laughs> You're like, well, I can tell you about parallelograms. Yeah. Um, does that help? Basically. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So am I? I still don't now? even understand what that means, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's the area for a triangle. Oh, good. Sure. Good to know. Yeah, but that's like a perfect triangle. Then you get your like hypotenuse. We won't we won't go into it. Uh math, uh, ironically enough, was actually one of my better better subjects. Um, despite my huge disdain for education. I I subscribed to Mark Twain. I didn't let educ 
I didn't let school get in the way of my education. Mm. So I graduated high school, went to college, didn't finish college um, because it wasn't for me. So had to, like you, School of Hard Knocks, just learned everything myself, read books, listened to podcasts, talked to people, invested in things that didn't work out. Some things did work out, you know. Um, I So one thing that I noticed, too, is like a huge, huge um, kind of separator is uh, taking action. It feels like so many people just kind of sit and don't do anything. Is there anything like that in poor communities where it's like, Hey, if you just took a little bit more action or is it really just the fact that they don't know? Um, no. Okay. So this, and this is where like the lefties will fucking eat me alive. Um, but no, there's a lot of just not doing anything. You know what I mean? But a lot of it is, I do think actually ties back to just kind of their uh, viewpoints on life and stuff like that. Like I wasn't, um, I was not raised in a community where it was like a positive thing to be a risk taker, where it was like uh, a positive thing to even make super long-term futuristic plans or anything like that. You know what I mean? Um, just when you are in a poor community, it's definitely more about the day-to-day. It's definitely more about um, just like what you can do now. And also people get stuck like, and they definitely... There's a lot of things behind it. There's a lot of like, oh, I can't leave because my family's here and I got to take care of my family or this or that. But there's a lot of um, prioritizing just kind of living the same life as opposed to prioritizing uh, moving forward or trying new things or whatever. And I mean, people can get pissy about that or whatever because they like to like Disney-fy uh, poor communities, which I cannot stand. It's like, oh, poor people are all perfect and great people. They just have a hard time. And it's like, ah, it sounds like you've never been to a poor community. But um, it, there's a lot of that. And that's like, and I know that because I came out of that. You know what I mean? And it's like, I I know that because I sent in like a hundred applications and resumes to get jobs. And I worked multiple jobs when I was in high school. And like, I did all these things that nobody else around me was doing. And that's how I knew that like, no, that is an issue around here because nobody else is fucking doing this shit. And um, that is one of the reasons why I actually make, you know, a decent living now, as opposed to where I come from. Um, is because I fucking worked my ass off for it. And also now I sell pictures of my feet online, which also helps. <laughs> but that was a hard work too. God bless the internet. <laughs> but but no, like all of my original businesses and stuff like that, it was because I worked my ass off for it. And I didn't know anybody else who was working two jobs while going to high school. I didn't know anybody. Like with, with um, my dad actually is a great example of this. Like he always worked these uh, factory jobs in Western New York where I grew up and they paid absolutely nothing and um but it was just like you know the family lives here and this is where we're gonna live and blah 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 so we lived off of fucking no money and then i you know i moved and stuff like that and i convinced him to start like looking for jobs where i was at and he now makes more money than he's ever made in his whole life but it was was such a silly thing because it was like you could have done this you know forever ago and you know, changed your life a long time ago, but it was just zero, zero trying is what it was. And even the trying, it was like, I had to keep kind of like, you know, throw another application and like throw, send your resume into another place. Like just do one more, you know what I mean? Cause there's a lot of this, like, well, I tried. And it's like, no, you send in one resume. <laughs> like that's not trying. 
<laughs> but it's it's prevalent in poor communities. It really is. Interesting. Okay. So there's it's kind of a two-parter. It's lack of mm-hmm. education and lack of motivation. Um, which yeah, but they, I think the motivation is tied to the education yes, though, though, a little say, bit. They, they're probably mutually exclusive in that yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where how you know, if you knew more, like even if you just read Rich Dad Poor Dad and just understood kind of a little bit basic finances and be like, oh wow, I could actually improve. You know, oh, dude, that's another thing like you're not going to find. And this is not obviously we're talking in fucking generalizations. This is not everybody in poor communities by all means. There's definitely outliers. But that's another thing, too, like uh, personal development type material and stuff like that. I literally hated people who read that kind of shit when I was growing <laughs> up. I could not stand people like that. Like like you, I probably would have not been able to stand you. Because- <laughs> It was so annoying. Like, you know what I mean? Because when you're like in it, when you're in poverty and stuff, and then you have this person come up and they're like, you're like, just change your mindset. Just go, just <laughs> drink, drink more water. And you're like, fuck you. <laughs> like, so I totally get it. I totally get it. And it's funny because it took me, it was like a, it was like a process. You know what I mean? It's like a slow ladder yes. climb. And then eventually you get to the point where you become the person you hate and you're like, just change your mindset, man. <laughs> Oh man, but I, I can't never, tell you. It's crazy. I never, I always read um, fiction. I haven't read a fiction book like, because when you're in, when you're in poverty, you utilize escapism for sure. You know what I mean? And because you have the short uh, time preference, you're like, oh, why would I, I'm not going to read this. Like I'm not going to read rich dad, poor dad. I'm not going to read think and grow rich. Why would I do that? So like, it's not going to help me. But if I read this, like fantasy book or whatever for 20 minutes, I'm actually going to have a good time. I'm going to have a good dopamine hit and it's going to feel good. Or if I play a video game or if I go buy a fucking Mountain Dew and a pack of cigarettes, like that's why they make those choices. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a time preference thing. Totally. I mean, there's no growth in the comfort zone, right? Which is another cliche here to just kind of add on to them. And, you know, had I told you that, you know, but what's funny is people always told me that too, right? And I, What's funny is we actually were pretty similar growing up, despite, you know, um, growing up in kind of, you know, different classes. I hated personal growth, just like you did. Change your mindset. Like even so I didn't start my own business until last year, but really kind of became an entrepreneur about two years ago, five years, six years ago. Well, I would say probably more like 10 years ago. Like if you'd have told me when I was in college, like about mind, like if I heard anyone talk about mindset, I was like, this person has no idea what they're talking about. They're selling snake oil. Now here I am. I do cold punches every day. I've gone alcohol <laughs> sober. Oh, good for you. Kudos. Thank you. Um, it's just for the foreseeable future, but, um, you know, gone alcohol emphasis on the alcohol too, but, uh, gone alcohol sober, right? Like go to the gym every morning, have a routine, like I meditate, I journal, like all the shit that I hated so much. And it's like, you know, and, and I really do think that part of the fear as weird as this is, is that it will make you better. And I think that there is something about being afraid of your potential that I don't know if society has worked that in to make us fearful or if it's the education or what it is, but it feels like, we're afraid of our, of our max potential. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think also there's a little bit of just like a archetype in there too. Like, you know what I mean? Like some people, 
if they look at a mountain, they're like, I want to fucking climb that. Like instantly, they're like, I want to yeah. climb that. And then other people are just like, oh, why would I want to climb that? That's like so much work. And right. like, you know what I mean? And so I think there's a little bit of that involved too. And But I mean, I think you can change and you can become one or the other. Um, but inherently, I think there's a little bit of like an archetypal thing there too. That's totally fair. And and I do think you can change, right? I think mm-hmm. um, we're both examples of the fact, you know, how many times are we told people never change? Turns out yeah, that's I don't not agree. true. I don't agree with that at all. I think people can change drastically if they put in the effort for sure. Right. It's just that I think what happens is so many people don't want to, right? That's why mm-hmm. we're the outliers. And what's funny about being the outliers, you realize you're like, God, if only more people were like this, we'd actually be very well off in society. You know, not to say that you need to go out and make a bunch of money and be an entrepreneur. It's just to say that if you're a free thinker and you're open-minded and you explore things and and all of a sudden become curious, all of a sudden, you know, something that quote unquote bad happens, you kind of just are like, oh yeah, that just kind of happened, right? Things no longer become good or bad. It's just sort of a situation that you're dealing with. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it's just like a path. So I think that's why, why it's really important to have people kind of along the the path, like at every stage, you know what I mean? So like the people that can still communicate with poor people and who aren't going to just come at them and be like, change your mindset, do cold plunges. You know what I mean? Because they're, they cannot, <laughs> they cannot resonate with that. And so, so if I take a cold plunge tub to the, to a poor community, it's not, it can be a no go, huh? No, they look at you like you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, but um but there you might inspire like one one out of the bunch though you know what i mean like there are right. there are people like that but um in general like people need to like one step at a time it you know what i mean and so that's why i think it's so cool that there's like people that are like doing everything from like change your basic mindset on money to like specific investment advice and i think it's important for like every one of those steps is super important absolutely i couldn't agree more I love that. Well, this has been absolutely incredible. I really, really appreciate your time, all of your insight. Um, I know the listeners will appreciate kind of the change of pace. Um, they've probably been beat to death with real estate, but I am very passionate about it. So yeah, um, nothing, nothing more peppy than politics. So that'll change it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we gave a, a nice, uh, different perspective on, on politics. I like to think so because, um, uh, it's still while becoming more prevalent, it's still you're very much an outlier in in your uh, stance, I think. Um, oh, for would, sure. Would you say yeah. that's true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, let's wind down here. We'll jump to the final five. I got five questions I ask everybody. Uh, best advice you've gotten from a mentor? Uh, ooh, um, you really put me on the spot here with that. Uh, I'm a slow thinker. And this is going to take me a second. No worries. That's advice I've gotten from a mentor. Um, well, yeah. Okay. So actually this one's kind of funny. Um, I used to have a problem. This isn't going to be about like money or anything. Sorry. But I used to have a problem like dealing with negativity of other people, um, which would really like, it just really got under my skin and bothered me because I would just be like, I don't understand why people are so upset. You know what I mean? Or like why you would want to like put your negativity on other people, especially on like social media and stuff. When I do content creation, and you know, I'll I ruffle some feathers being a libertarian. And um no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um I had somebody told tell me that you like if in real life, if someone was just like yelling a bunch of like bullshit at you, would you sit there and be like, Oh, 
I wonder if their like opinion is correct or anything like that. Or would you just be like, I need to get away from this crazy person. And I was like, oh, yeah, I just want to get away from the crazy person. It's like, yeah. So like, don't take like online trolls or anything like that, like seriously. And I think a lot of us, like, even if you say, oh, it doesn't bother me or whatever, occasionally, like somebody says something, you're like, oh, man, you know, because you're like trying to create something. So it's hard when people are trying to destroy it. But that's one of the best pieces of advice I got, I think. I absolutely love that so much. It's so true. And I'm certainly, uh, as I start to, you know, hit social media harder and harder with my stances, I still, and mine are like, you know, I'm sitting here just sort of explaining investing and, and finances and people still disagree. So I could only imagine when you have as intensive a topic as you have, you know, on the platform that you have that, you know, Chad doesn't really love it as much and wants to try to tell you why you're wrong. Sorry to all the Chads out there. I didn't mean to call you out like that, but um, it always seems like it's a Chad or a Kevin. Um, we always joke about that. Anyway, question number two, uh, what is about your career that makes you feel like you're fulfilling your why? Um. Yeah, so definitely with the, I don't know, I'm just super passionate about personal sovereignty. I just really, really am. Um, I really think it's the way to be. I don't think you're supposed to like nobody has the right to make you do anything. You know, nobody has the right to point a gun at you and say, give me your money, not even the government. Like and so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think because it's something that's like so um, I'm so drawn to do and I'm so passionate about that getting to talk about libertarianism all day is kind of like the dream for me. I love it. That's awesome. Love to see it. Um, cool. So this one, obviously, it's a little bit more of a, a real estate question, but favorite non-real estate or investment related book. You mentioned you read a lot of nonfiction now. So give us some of your your favorites, one or two. Um, non-investment, non-real estate, you said? Yeah. Okay. The Awakened Ape. I read that this year. I forget who it's by because I'm horrible with names, but I I recommend it to everyone. I like shove it in everyone's face. I'm obsessed. It's a great one. Okay. Adding that to the list. I love it. Um, sweet. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, uh, it'd be really cool to like, uh, I guess, be invisible. Nice. Yeah, I would be invisible and then just that way nobody would talk to me in public. <laughs> do you have do you get social anxiety? Um, so not like social anxiety, but I don't like I have this weird thing where I don't know if I'm like just really dumb. That might be the issue, but like <laughs> people are not like that nice to me in public or like they treat yeah, it's weird. It's like this weird thing. Like I get people all the time who are just like was just mad at me for no reason. And I try to go around like in a like pretty in the decent... grocery store, like someone will just like, especially in the grocery every... store, like, really? yeah, like cashiers and stuff. Never like me, like off the bat. It's the weirdest thing. Like they'll, I got a vibe or something, you know, they're like, Oh, this fucking idiot. I bet she's a libertarian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, you, now you've got main character vibes going where you like, just assume that is it is it the main character that everybody hates me? Um, no, everybody doesn't hate me. I just I get in these situations where people are like, ugh, and I'm like, I get it. Like I'm fully get it. 
Oh, that's so yeah, funny. I would just be invisible and just walk out of the store with my things. And I, I would still pay, you know what I mean? I just like leave cash on the counter and you just see like a floating box of like little Debbie's leaving the store. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if someone's judging you for buying little Debbie's, they that is a projection. All right. I don't think that's what it is. I think, do you know how some people just have a punchable face? Do you ever like, do you ever yeah. see like a, yeah, somebody in your I've been oh, told I just, have a punchable face. See? Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so too. Um, I don't want to toot our horns here, but I think um, sometimes people just see those who may, f- I think people sometimes might look and be like, this person has more than I have, so screw them, you know, just like just looking at us. Uh, that's just pure speculation. But ironically, I run into the same issue sometimes. Um I'm going to stick with it's our punchable faces, but yeah, you do you. <laughs> oh yeah. Here I am like trying to, you know, Try I, to make yourself white, look I thought we have white pill. Yeah. White pill. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. What's the best way for people get a hold of you and learn more? Yeah. So you can follow me on TikTok, the Elizabeth Duffy on Instagram, the Elizabeth Duffy uh, disclaimer. The Instagram is spicy though. So I wouldn't go there unless you're <laughs> into that. And then um, my podcast is called Tax This Podcast. So I'm Apple, Spotify, you can find me on YouTube, Rumble. It, that's a new one. So uh, yeah, help me out. That'd be great. Beautiful. Uh, great podcast. Um, I have listened. I did listen to uh, do a little research. Um, and ironically, it uh, made me a couple minutes late to this because I was sitting listening to your last episode, which I was... Um, we'll definitely finish. So great podcast. We will link all of those in the show notes, make it super easy for everyone. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely amazing. Catch you later. Thank you again for tuning in. Who do you know that wants more cash flow? Share this episode with them so you can grow your cash flow together. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you're subscribed on your platform of choice so you never miss a new episode. Go to katanicapitalgroup.com to learn more.